0: Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. I hope you had a great week, and I hope that you enjoy the summer, and for me personally, I very much enjoy this kind of a weather where it's not so hot. There's not so much humidity in the air. And I just love to sleep during the night when I don't have to turn on my AC, just open the, all the windows. And for me, I could enjoy summer. I can have weather like that all year long. But if it's hot and humid, I just can't wait till the winter time, actually. <laughs> so we heard the title of my message. It's all about the heart. And just before I go there, Before I forget, my children, especially Daniel, he said, just make sure, if you remember, just to say hello and Jessica too, to all the brethren in Burlington. So they very much enjoyed the stay and work on the farm, but they miss so much the church. But, you know, we have to sacrifice one way or the other. You can't have both. So they wanted to say a big hug and big kisses to all of you from our kids, from Jessica, from Daniel. So let me get to the mother right away. If anybody will ask you a question, okay how would you answer it? Is it possible for a Christian to keep the entire law of God? Is it possible for a Christian to keep the entire law of God? How would you answer that? Is it even possible to not just to know but just to understand the entire law of God? And some people came to the conclusion that Because we can't keep the law no matter what. And since we can't keep the law, why bother? Why bother keep the law? Since Jesus Christ came, he died for our sins. He kept the law for us, so we don't have to do it. That's one of the arguments that many people use it for. But, how many of you like to play sport, any sport? You're still playing sport. All right. What kind of sports are you playing? Teresa, what kind of sport you playing? So do you have a chance that somebody will come and see how you play and say, you're so good, you may have a chance to play for Canada National Team? <laughs> Never. So you're basically saying, you don't have a chance to be perfect at this sport. Why bother playing? So you see the silliness of the argument, right? Since we cannot keep the entire law, <laughs> Why bother being Christian? Why bother? Why bother to strive for perfection if you can't become perfect? I think that's one, one of the silliest arguments that people try to use outside of the Bible. How many of you are familiar with Canadian Constitution? When was the last time that you actually, that you actually read it? Anybody? Have a look at it. All right. How many of you are familiar with, let's say, Canadian criminal law? When was the last time that you read it? No? All right. All right. So let's go a little bit lower. What about the municipal bylaw? How, how many of you read it the last time? You know, what kind of municipal bylaw do we have? No? So can I use the same argument? Since I can't keep off the laws, I have the right to pick and choose which way I want. Let's say I don't like when somebody can kill members of my family, so I uphold this kind of law, criminal law. But let's say on the other hand, I like my neighbor's wife. I would like to commit adultery with her. So you know anything that pertains to adultery, just scratch it up. We got that, Sue me, right? Just, just, just one example, okay? We can turn things around. I like my neighbor's car. I can't afford to have a car like that. I should have the right to steal the car from him and go for a drive. It's a silly argument. Can we keep all Canadian laws? No. Can I keep all the municipal laws? No, as a matter of fact, you know what? I broke a few laws on the way to church today. I was driving in my community safety zone, and it's 50, and I was going at least 58. I broke one of the law. And just right there before the church, I hit the gas pedal way ahead in the intersection. I had the yellow light where I was supposed to stop. I broke another law. I wanted to be here on time. So let me ask you again. Do I have the right to pick and choose which law I want to keep? And which law I want to set aside because they don't sue me at this particular moment or at this particular time in my life, which is a silly, it's a crazy, and it's a stupid argument that people try to use. It. That's how I wanted to describe it. Let's look at some other examples, okay? With people with such an attitude, how would we describe them? It's a lawlessness. And that's what people like it, Lowlessness. Lawlessness. But let's, let's, let's talk about children. Most of us here are parents, right? So when your kids were small, was it okay to set a standard of righteousness? I'm using different terminology. I can use rules. Was it okay for our parents to set a standard of righteousness for our kids to fulfill? Is it okay to do that? Absolutely. Is God doing the same thing with us? Absolutely. Where we are are setting up the standard of righteousness for our kids. What did we think in our hearts when he set these rules? We knew it right away. They're not going to keep it. We knew it right away. They're not capable to keep it to its full extent. Why not? Because they're immature. They're young. And they have a long way to go before they're fully going to understand and they're going to fully comprehend what some of the rules mean. And, you know, I know from my example in my life, with Daniel and Jessica as they were growing up, you know, for the early ages we said, you can't hit your brother. You can't steal the toys from your sister. And even when you went to a public place, we talked a lot to them about, listen, guys, you need to share your toys with others. It's not just okay to play with somebody's other toys, but you need to share your toys with other children. And we spend countless hours trying to talk to them and explain to them the basic reasons why you want them like that. And just look at so many parents and so many children in this society. So can we say that, because I can't keep the Canadian law, can I say that there is a problem with Canadian law or there is a problem with me? No problem with Canadian law, maybe some of them, but not all of them. But the main problem is not with the Canadian law, the main problem is not with God's law, the main problem is with me. I'm the problem. Not the law that's in the Bible, not the law that is in the Canadian Constitution. I am the main problem. And just from your observation, you probably observe some people, you probably observed observe other families. What happened when mom and dad Don't set the rules of righteousness too high. And the kids grow at home like that. And eventually, they become at the age of 10, 12. And they don't know the difference between what's right and what is wrong. And parents realize too late and say, you know, I need to catch up. And I need to correct their behavior. And they just realize, it's so hard to do it right now. It's almost impossible to do it right now because kids... They like to live in this stage called lawlessness. I don't want to abide by any rules. I don't want to abide by any standards. Who are you to tell me what to do? So that's the same argument. So brethren, if we as a parent, if we have the right to set the rules for our children, what about our Heavenly Father? Does he have any, you know, ability to set the rules for us? or we can just say that you no know, what does a parent just say to your children you know what since you can't keep the since you can't keep my rules because i see you can't keep it you're not mature since you can't keep it you know what there are no rules on my home you know after all you are all my children and i love you so much doesn't matter if you keep my rules or not what would happen you know what would happen so Can I say the same thing about my family, there were six of us, and let's say my eldest sister, she was a perfect child. She never gave any reason for my mom and for my dad to grieve. She was absolutely wonderful. So can a mom and dad say, you know, like, okay, Jen, you are the youngest one. Your sister did it all for you. She kept all the commandments, she kept all the rules, so you don't have to do anything. Or you know what? It will be the opposite. My mom and dad would say, since your sister was so good, and she kept all the rules so good, so great, the bar is actually higher for you now, because I have to measure up with my sister. It's not the same thing when you logically try to think about God's love, and Jesus Christ, what he did for us. It's absolutely the same thing, brethren. Open your Bible to Ephesians. The one of the silliest arguments that people use out there. Ephesians chapter two. And verse eight. It's a very well known verse when Paul's writing here to Ephesians he says in verse 8 chapter 2 verse 8 for by grace you've been saved through faith and then not of yourself it is the gift of God not of works lest anyone should boast that's what people are using see there's nothing you can do to be saved everything comes from God and you don't have to do anything just give give your life to Christ and don't worry about anything else that's what they use I want you to go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. I want you to look here. What Paul write, How Paul describes God's law. Romans chapter 3. And verse 20. Just one verse. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. Paul writes here to the Romans. He says. Therefore by the deeds of the law. No flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Law was not designed to save us from anything. Canadian criminal law is not designed to save us from our criminal behavior. The Canadian criminal law is designed to punish us for the crime that we have committed. That's it. The same way is God's law. So just by reading verse like that, I absolutely agree. If every single one there who says, "I am incapable to keep the Canadian law if it's full, if it's full potential there, I'm incapable. I can't. I'm still a mortal human being. I can't. If, if my salvation was based on keeping the God's law, I'll never be saved." If my salvation was, bad, you know, was, was was designed to keep me safe, let's say, just use, using the Canadian law system, I would never be saved Because on one way or the other, knowingly and unknowingly, I'm breaking the Canadian's law on a daily basis. And as a Christian, we're breaking God's law on a daily basis, whether we know or we don't know. So, there's nothing wrong with the law. The problem is with our heart and our inability to keep the God's law. Just flip over to Romans chapter 7. When Paul says here, Romans chapter 7 and verse 12. He described law in verse 12. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandments holy and just and good. As our Father in heaven is holy, the same way his laws are holy. Just we can, we can look at the country, we can look at Canadian's law, and we can say Canadian's law describes the Canadian society. When you look at God's law, we can say and conclude that that's how the law describes the character of God. It's so the same way, in the same manner. And in verse 13, has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not, but sin. That it might appear sin was producing that in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know, verse 14, for we know that the law comes from the Father and the law must be spiritual. But we, on the other hand, we know that we are just flesh and blood. We are just carnal and we are under the sin God. Dominion, because we all have penalty written above our heads. We are condemned to die, whether we like it or not. So that's the way of the reality. So if children, if they have to learn rules in order to learn what is right and what is wrong, what did you think that God expects his own children to do the same thing? God wants us to teach what is right and what is wrong. In his sight. And you know, brethren, God is fully aware of our inability. God is fully aware of what's inside our heart. What we are capable of and what we are not capable of. God is fully aware of it. And that's why the scripture that was read today and was also covered last week by Pastor Agent studying the book of Hebrews. We spent so much time in this book, Jeremiah, If you open your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 31. We'll just go there verse by verse. And I'll show you something very interesting here. Jeremiah chapter 31. And as we read. As we're going to read the the same part of the scripture. I want you to. In your mind. I want you to think about it. I want you to analyze it. And think to what degree. Has this prophecy been fulfilled? To what degree? Okay, so verse 31. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I will make a brand new covenant. Not according to to the covenant that I made with the fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was husband to them, says the Lord. Verse 33. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts, and I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. To what degree has been this prophecy fulfilled? To what degree? Just keep reading. Verse 34. How far we are, it's God's law really, really in your heart right now. Just keep reading. No more shall every man teach his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sins I will remember no more. How far we are into this prophecy. As of right now, we all are here. We all gather together. Praise God to worship you, God. But we also here, we want to learn something. So as far as I know, we still need somebody to teach us about God's law, to teach us about God so our heart, God's law, is not fully written in our hearts, not yet. It hasn't been fulfilled fully. But, It was God's intention that people would fully understand and have God's law in their hearts. If you go to Genesis chapter 3, and we can conclude there, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. And you can imagine yourself walking in the garden, and every evening, God the Father comes down to you. And you have a little exchange, a little communication. What's happening? What's going on? How was your day? Is everything going well? Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. And they hear the sound of the Lord, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hide themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. So at least we can speculate here from this verse that God was coming down. On a regular basis. And trying to talk. And communicate to his people. At least we can speculate. Okay. But I want you to go to Exodus. Exodus chapter 19. And I love this part of the scripture. There is so much information. So many important information for us. Exodus chapter 19. And verse 3. Look what God says here to Moses. And Moses. Went up to God. Exodus chapter 19, verse 3. And the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagle wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if, if, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all all the earth is mine. And verse 6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words we shall speak to the children of Israel. And just skip down to verse 16. Then it came to pass. That on the third day. In the morning. That there were thunderings. And lightnings. And a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. And God was talking to them. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Would it be nice for us if you just go to bed, get on your knee, and you start speaking and asking questions, and God responds back to you with his voice? Would it be nice? would be awesome. But Moses was able to do that with God, communicate voice to voice. And then we know what happened. In verse 20, verse 1, God is speaking to the whole nation of Israel. And the multitude of nations that were the Israelites, Egyptians, and who knows what kind of other slaves. And God spoke all these words, saying, and he gave them the Ten Commandments, one by one. And he he wants people to listen carefully, attentively, what God requires to all of them. okay? And then we come to verse 18. Instead of listening attentively. In verse 18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings. The lightning flashes. The sound of the trumpet. And the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it. They trembled. And stood afar off. Instead of coming closer to God. And saying speak to us. When I hear your voice. When I hear your voice. And your explanations and your laws. They were going farther apart. And verse 19, the greater tragedy that happened to human race. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us. We don't want to hear God. You speak with us and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, please. we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God, for God has come to test you. That his fear might be for you. So that you may not sin. Can you picture this spectacular scenery around you? God comes down. And he wants to communicate to his people. And after all of this. Just listening to the first ten commandments. People just said enough of it. They said just stop it. We don't want to hear you anymore. But you know. We don't want to hear God. We'll hear men. What they have to say to us. Okay. That's horrible. That's strategy. And what happens when people refuse to hear God? And for this moment, when they demand Moses, they also demand somebody who will mediate between God and humankind. And that's the rest of the Old Testament story. What, did that, what would that produce? You know, two classes of people. We have a holy priesthood, and we have so-called the lay members on the other side, Okay. This one group is holy, and the lame members are not so holy, right? Then if the priest is good man, if the priest is dedicated to God, along with the leader, the nation doing great, the nation rising to the top. When you have a bad corrupted leader, bad corrupted priest and leader at the same time, we know the story. We know the story from the from Israel's history, right? Good king, prosperity, bad bad king. Everything goes down. That's what happens when we want to listen to other people instead of listening directly to God. And that's the results today. Even among churches. Look at this. Striving for money. All the fights for power. Who is the greatest? Who is going to be at the top? Who will be the second in command? Who will be the third in command? Who is more important? Is this you know, is this pastor more important than the other pastor? Is this important? Okay? We try to, we try just like the society, we try to, you know, structure ourselves kind of in a way of steps. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. But God, from the beginning, he wanted to speak to people directly. God to people. God to people. No mediator between God and people. And what happened when people did become dependent on one leader? When one leader goes astray, the entire nation goes astray. When one pastor goes astray, the entire church goes astray. And that's the history. I don't have to prove it from the Bible. We know it. We live with it. We saw it. We even know what happened to the World War Church of God. That's a perfect example of it. So that's what it is. So God was fully aware of our imperfection. Even at this stage, God was fully aware of So right after when people demanded a mediator, God revealed something else for us. And how many of us are aware of what is the plan of God? What is the next action that God wants to do after he gives people the Ten Commandments? Churches will preach the Ten Commandments. Many churches will preach the Ten Commandments. But after the Ten Commandments, there's something in our Bibles that is so important, it's so critical that we don't understand And don't have any idea what all of this is all about. Let's go and see it. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 22. I'll just read it first and then we'll go back and try to analyze a little bit verse by verse. Then the Lord said to Moses, after all this failing with the Ten Commandments, when people refused to listen to anything else, God was fully aware of what's happening. God said to Moses, Thus you should say to the people, children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked to you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be, to, to be with me. Gods of silver or gods of gold, you shall not make for yourself. And verse 24, an altar of earth you shall make for me. And you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offering and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you, and and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build on it of hewn stones. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. What is this all about? But let me tell you, God is very specific here. And he says, if you want to worship me properly, the way I want, here's the prescriptions. And I will show you later how I'm going to fulfill it. See, today, any church, any church today claims that we worship God in spirit and in truth. Imagine if you come to this church and say, you know what? I'm not so sure if you worship God in truth and in spirit. How would you feel? Would you step in and say, you know, hey, I want to learn more about it? No, you would just lock the door and say goodbye. I don't want to have any part of it. Any single church will say, we worship God in spirit and in truth. So, how is that possible? We have, I don't know how many thousand denominations, and a single one of them worship God in spirit and in truth. How is that possible? See, people were so preoccupied with all the visible effects that happen on the mountain they forgot to listen what God was actually trying to tell them. Okay? Let's go back And verse 22. Just read this verse one more time in your own mind. And think about it for a moment. God says, you have seen that I have talk. I have talk. It's not, it's not it didn't say here, You have seen that I have tried to show you something. No. I talk. I try to talk to you. Okay? And, that's an interesting statement talk to you. And he says a place. I talk to you from where? From heaven. Why is this important? You know, it's not just from the historical background back then, Pastor Agent explained. People worship gods, all the kind of different gods of all kinds of different mountains. Every mountain has their own God. It got our God says, you know, I'm not just God of this mountain. I spoke to you, not from Mount Sinai. I spoke to you from heaven. I spoke to you from heaven. And look at this. And we are still so busy, preoccupied with all the other effects that's happening around us, with the visual effects. There are people today who will still travel as a pilgrimage. And they want to see Mount Sinai. When God is so specific here, he says, in verse 23, he says, You shall not make anything to be with me. Any gods, doesn't matter what kind of gods, or server, or gods of gold. you shall nothing make. To worship me. People today will travel to Mount Sinai. People argue, "What's the holy mountain?" Still call it holy mountain. And people come with great revelations. They said, like you know, "Oh, I was at the top of the mountain. I feel so close to God." Maybe you should climb Mount Everest. You'll be even closer to God, which is on the other side. But just you know, just the arguments that people use. Like like they like visible effects more than actually listening what God is trying to tell us. On many. On many occasions, right? And he's saying to the people, as I told you, I'm not just the local God. I'm God of everything. I own everything. I created everything. Not just from this mountain. Not just Egypt. It's not about Israel. It's not about Russia or China. I'm God of everything. of All the creation. He's God of heaven. And this part of hearing God's voice... It's so important, it's so important that God was trying to teach the nation Israel over and over again. If you go to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's an everyday prayer, actually, every every Jewish man prays three times a day using the same prayer. In the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. It starts like here, here, or listen. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this Hebrew word here, here, is shama. It's a Hebrew word. And Hebrew word, one word can mean many different things. But this word, okay, the same word, Hebrew word shama, means li- listen, means to hear, and the same Hebrew word shama means obey. For a Jewish reader, when you have a word like that, when it says listen, listen also means obey. In the English language, listen, I'm listening. When I say listen and obey, that's a different thing. But Hebrew language was constructed a little bit differently. So God says here, you listen. It's not just listen. You also obey what you hear from me. So we see God's worship is strictly based on the word of God. And what we hear from God. And nothing from our own imagination. And Israel under, under Moses refused. Not just to hear the Ten Commandments. They refused anything what God was trying to tell them. After the Ten Commandments. Let's go, let's go to Exodus. 20. Back there. So please hold your spot there. Because we may go forward and back. To different scriptures. But hold your, hold your spot here in Exodus chapter 20. And let's spend some time. Let's talk about this altar that God was prescribing here to people. Altar was a place of sacrifice. It was the most critical element of the Old Testament worship. And let me tell you, it's also the most critical element of the New Covenant worship. And I'll show you later how. Okay? So it's so critical that God described He gives us instruction. How is the altar supposed to be built? In verse 24. It's very simple. An altar of earth you shall make for me. Nothing fancy. Just from earth. From dirt. If. It's also says in verse 25. If you. Make me an altar of stone, you shall not build of huge stones, for if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. If you're in the place that is so difficult to get, you know, to the earth, there are lots of plenty of stones. God allowed to make it of stones, but He says, don't use your human imaginations. Don't use any tools. Try to, try to shape, try to cut, try to whatever do, just try to create altar that you're going to worship me here. God is very specific here. And why it's so important, right? I'll, I'll, we'll show you later, but let me, I'll make your statement. and You might not agree with me. But if you don't agree with me, just write it down. We can talk about it a little bit later during our fellowship. You know, so many Christians think that God has a special connection with the nation of Israel because they have something specifically that are genetically connected to God. I will tell you there is nothing something like that in the entire Bible. I will show you later a little bit how and why. The Bible, from cover to cover, it was not, and is not, just janiting alone. Okay? Let me explain it. This book was written to the nation of Israel and to the nation of Judah. And most of the people of the nation of Israel and most of the nation of Judah rebel horribly against God. God sent prophets to the nation of Israel, to the nation of Judah, who treated horribly, trying to bring the word of God. Okay? And, and the same Father, God, made a great judgment on the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah, how to refuse Jesus Christ in the end. Okay? We'll get to that a little bit later. But let me tell you something. If you don't obey God, if you don't obey God's commandments, if you're not close to God, God can wipe you up from His nation. And that's in the scripture. He can wipe you out. He says, you, or in other words, you can lose your citizenship in God's kingdom if you don't obey God's word and God's commandments. Let's go to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 14. Hold your place there, but let's go to Ezekiel chapter 14. Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 1. We'll read it slowly. Now some of the elders of Israel came to me. And sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me saying. Son of man. These men have set up their idols. Their idols. In their heart. And, and put before them. That which caused them to stumble into inequity. Should I. Let myself. Inquire of at, at, at all by them. Verse four Therefore speak to them and says to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, everyone of the half of Israel who sets up his idol in his heart, and puts before him what causes him to stumble into inequity, and then comes and it comes to the prophet, look what's gonna happen. I it says I I the Lord will answer him. Who comes according to the multitude of his idols. Where so many people are deceiving this word. God said, I. I, the Lord, will answer them. If that's what you like to hear, that's how I'm going to answer you. If you don't know how to square some of the teaching with with, with God's word. Verse 5. That I may seize the house of Israel by their heart. Because they are all estranged from me by their idols. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God. There is the solution. Repent. Turn away from your idols. And turn your faces away from all your abominations. In verse 7, For anyone of the house of Israel, all of the strangers, anyone who accepts the covenant of God, who dwells in Israel, who separates himself from me, and sets up his idol in his heart. And puts before him. What causes him to stumble with inequity. Then comes to a prophet. To inquire of him concerning concerning me. And it's again the same the same, the same words. I the Lord. Will answer him. Answer him by myself. In what way? Verse, verse 8. I will set my face against that man. And make him a sign. And a proverb. And then what? And I will cut him off. From the midst of my people. Then you shall know. That I am Lord. You can use. The citizenship. Of God's kingdom. Even if if you don't follow God. Verse 9. And even this prophet. And if the prophet is. Induced to speak anything. I the Lord. Have induced that prophet. And I will stretch out my hand against him. And destroy him from among my people, Israel. That's such a strong warning to anybody who does not abide by the word of God and turns it into inequity or lawlessness. Now let's go to more serious matter. Go to Leviticus chapter 17. I shouldn't say most serious matter, but Leviticus chapter 17. Just let's connect The altar and the sacrificial sister. What do they have in common? Why is it so critical? Chapter 17, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, to his sons, and to all the children of Israel, and say to them, This is the thing which I, the Lord, has commanded, saying, Whatever man of the house of Israel, who kills an ox or lamb or goat in the camp, or who kills it outside the camp, so it doesn't matter where you, where you bring your sacrifice, okay, it doesn't matter, and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt, the guilt of bloodshed shall be, imputed to that, shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood, and that man shall be what? That man shall be cut off from among his people. to the the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices which they offer in the open field that they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting to the priest and offer them as a peace offering to the Lord. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting and, and burn the fat for a sweet aroma to the Lord. They shall no more offer the sacrifices to demons after whom they have played the harlot. This shall be a statue forever for them, throughout their generations. And this is so critical. This is so critical. Read and listen carefully. Have a sacrifice and kill a sacrifice. That was one thing. People thought that, you know, I can offer any sacrifice. I can offer any sacrifice, whatever I want, and how I want. No. Sacrifice was one part, but the most critical part is, when you offer a sacrifice, what you do with the blood of the sacrificial animal? What you do with the blood that was the most important thing in the old covenant, and is also the most important thing in the new covenant, as we will see later. See why. Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God. He was the sacrifice for the entire sins of the entire world. And, you know, he had to be sacrificed, according to the law. He had to be sacrificed by the priest to fulfill the law. People argue today, who killed Christ? It wasn't the Romans. They did the dirty job. It was actually the Jewish religious leader who had to perform the ritual of killing the sacrifice. And they did it, okay? But this is not important. Christ came to die. The most important was for the Jewish leadership, for the Jewish people is what you do with the sacrificial lamb, What you do with the sacrificial blood. That's the critical issue here. They were supposed to bring it somewhere and they refused. See, most Jewish people never accept the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ in their hearts. Never ever till this day. God According to what we read in Leviticus chapter, right there in Leviticus chapter 17, God had the right to cut them off and said, "You are no longer in my kingdom. You will lose your citizenship because you don't know what to do with the sacrificial blood." And, brethren, the same thing happened to us Christians. I'll go a little bit farther. I will explain. Paul writes in Romans chapter two. Let's go to Romans chapter 2. So we as a Gentile, as we come into the covenant, the covenant was just established with the house of Israel and house of Judah. There's no any other covenant with the Gentile nation. We're still under the same covenant. But Paul writes in chapter 2, Romans chapter 2, he explains in verse 28. He says for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. So, because, you know, these people genealogically are Jewish people, doesn't mean that they are closer to God than, let's say, Palestinian people because of the genealogy. No, verse 29. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter. whose praise is not from the man, but from God. So we are the spiritual Jews. That's how we are accepted into this new covenant. Not through the new covenant. Not through the Gentile covenant. Through the new covenant that was established. That we read in Jeremiah chapter 31. No. We know. We read it. In Romans chapter 7. Remember that God's law. Many people made this common mistake. That law in the Old Testament was a physical law. It wasn't a spiritual law. But let me tell you, God's law is spiritual law. doesn't matter where it is. God's law has got more spiritual implication than physical one. We talk about the altar, okay? I talk about the altar, how important how it needs to be built and all this stuff. And look what Paul needs to have to say, what he, what he had to write in Hebrew chapter 10. What this altar represents in our life, okay? What is so important about this altar? How are we going to bring back people God says, I'm going to bring these people back to me, is through this altar. What is this altar? Let's go to Hebrew chapter 10. Hebrew chapter 10, and in verse 22. Or start in verse 21. And having a high priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart. In a full awareness of faith, having our hearts what? Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. God's, God's altar and blood they go hand in hand. There's no altar without blood sacrifice. The bloody organs, the bloodiest organ in our body is our heart. It's pumping our heart throughout the Entire system of our body just to make us alive. And this organ represents God's altar. That's where we accept Christ. And it's even more than that, brethren. We'll come to this a little bit later, okay? So let's go to Exodus chapter 20, verse 23, one more time. And look at this design one more time. This altar that God's described here, okay? How we should make an altar for a worship. He says it's got to be made from a dirt, okay? And you can check. You don't have to go there. But, you know, if you go to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, where it says, And the Lord God for a man of the dust of the ground and it into his nostril the bread of life, and man become a living being. Just as we are made from this dirt, okay? If somebody try ever offend you, as your piece of dirt, just don't take it personally. That's who we are. We come from the ground, we come from the dirt, okay? And or from stones, as is later. And when you look at it here, people were never ever allowed to use any tools if you want to make at God's altar, okay? And when you read the Bible, later to this, you know, story of Old Testament through the tabernacle area, to the first temple area, to the second temple area, tools were all reused to complete all this furnishing that were in the tabernacle or even in the first temple. What God says here was never fulfilled in the Old Testament. It was only fulfilled in the new one. And verse twenty six is an interesting verse here. It says, Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness might not be expressed on it. Steps to the altar. Look for spiritual implication of it. How many of you have you heard some how many of you heard like a preacher saying, I'll give you a three, four steps or five steps, how to get closer to God? And, you know, I don't know if you know this, none of them works. Some people say, I'll give you three steps how to have a better spiritual life, or I'll give you two steps how to be closer to God. I'll give you two steps how to pray better. I'll give you five steps how to do this. And the people realize over the time, they don't work. And they only come along the way, we just, we just discover along the way, walking the steps that, you know what? We fall again to the ground, and we just only ex- exposed our human nature. We only exposed our nakedness in front of God. Never work. Why? Because God needs to be the altar of shaping our heart, shaping our altar that is in our body. If God is not the altar, then forget it. You know what? Through self-discipline, you can accomplish a lot. Through self-discipline, you can become a better person. Through self-discipline, you can become a better speaker. Through self-discipline, you can learn how to manage your time. You can do all these things. The thing there is one thing you cannot do it by self-discipline. It can't change your human nature. can't. Only God can. And God says, there needs to be a place that I will choose and I will pick. God does the picking. God does the choosing. It's not you that pick God and choose God. It's God actually who comes and chooses you and says, there is a calling. I call people and I pick and I call and I say, I want you. And he works with your heart. He works with you. And he's changing your heart not with your tools, not with follow-up. your self-tooling. God is changing you by His own desire and will, and you just follow His commands. That's it. That's how simple it is, brethren. And let me show you. Let me show you some pictures. Okay. Actually, we can. I'll give you. A, let's go to Exodus chapter thirty-one. Remember when they were building the tabernacle, right? All this thing that you re- lear, learned after the Ten Commandments. Has never ever been fulfilled in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 38. That was the first altar that they built. For the tabernacle worship. Verse 1. Look at all the material that they used to build it. He made the altar of burnt offering. Of a catch of wood. Okay there is wood. Five cubits was his length. And five cubits his width. It was square and its height was three cubits. He made its horn of its four corners. The horns were of one piece with it. And he overlaid it with bronze. Okay? It's got nothing close What God described what God what God prescribed there in the just right after the Ten Commandments. So I Google it. I don't know if you can see from here. So that's the, how the tabernacle altar looked like. It doesn't even come close that it was supposed to be shaped with no tools, just come from the ground, from the dirt, or just from simple stones. Even stones, they have to be untouched, uncut, un, you know, just whatever shape and form they come. It's nothing close, okay? If you do a little bit further research, you can find it also when the first temple was built, okay? That's how the altar looked in the first temple. What you see here? There is a ramp. There are steps. Don't come to me through the steps, right? But we are very creative people. You know how to get to, we know how to help it, you know, ourselves get to God closer. So you have all the steps here, right? So you see, whatever God says here, after the Ten Commandments, we're speaking to people. It doesn't have just physical uh, meaning to us, but it's also spiritual. So in conclusion, brethren, what have you learned today? We cannot worship God, God the way we like it. We cannot worship God because, you know, that fits my lifestyle. I'll do whatever I want to. And God is always with me. Because Christ died for my sins. I don't have to do anything. God is very specific. Way, shape, and everything. How we should worship Him. And God, God planted everything from the beginning. Right from the Genesis. All the, all the way through the book of Exodus. Just right after the Ten Commandments. God, God knew exactly. If I get these people to obey my Ten Commandments. I have to change their hearts. Otherwise, they will never ever get to this point that I can talk to them face to face. Will never ever happen. Go to Jeremiah chapter seven. Look what God says to them through Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter seven, in verse twenty one. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. He says, add to, your born, offerings to your, add, add your born offerings to your sacrifices and eat meat. For I did not speak to you, to your fathers, or commend them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning your born offering of sacrifices. But, but this is what I commended them, saying, obey my voice. Listen to me, obey my voice, and I'll be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well with you. In verse 24, they were so preoccupied with all the other visible effects that were happening around them, just like we Christians today. So many things just happening around us, so many visible effects. With have good TVs, we have good computer screens, we have Facebooks, we have texts, and all kind of, you know, things that get us away just to be serious, just to be alone, just to close our eyes and listen what God has to say to us. Verse 24. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts, and went backwards and not forward. And since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have even sent to you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up, daily rising up early and sending them. Verse 26. Yet they did not obey me, or incline their ear. By stiffening their necks, they did worse than their fathers. And that's the history of humankind. Therefore. You shall speak all these words to them. God's writing through Jeremiah. Okay. You shall speak all these words to them. But God is saying. But. They will not obey you. They will not obey you. You shall also call to them. But they will not. Answer you. And that's what happened. God knew right along. From the beginning. That he needs to change our hearts. He needs to make a new covenant. God will, God will do the picking and choosing, and God will change one heart at a time, and He's got a perfect, wonderful plan for all of this. And brethren, that's why Paul would write in Romans chapter 12. Now, when you fully understand what the physical altar represents in our spiritual life, that is actually talking about our hearts. Okay, it's talking about hearts and all the sacrifices that were happening on the altar, the blood business. Followed right in, in Romans chapter 12. In verse 1, he would write something like this I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this word, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If God is working with you hard, the distinctions that you can make who is Christian and who is not a Christian, you throw at them, God's law, and you will find right away. Because people who look at God's law, they look like into the mirror and say, you know, who I am. If I started comparing myself through the book of law and try to compare myself to Christ, I'm not even measuring close. And you will realize how broken you are you will realize how sick you are, and you will realize how much you need God into your heart. Now, if you claim that you're Christians, but you're so opposed to God's law, you're wandering the other directions. You're not going towards God. You're actually wandering away from God, even farther and farther and farther. And I would like to close with this. One closing scripture was in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. let's start in verse 12. Paul writes here, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you. He gives final instruction in his letter. And are, and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love for their works' sake. Be at peace among yourselves. And he goes very quick, very short, very short verses here. Verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all. Fifteen. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourself and for all. Rejoice always. I think that's one of the shortest verses in the Bible. I'm not so sure about it. It's very short to remember. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. The next one. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. It's just one simple verse like that. Do not quench the spirit. The, Hebrew, the Greek translation, quench, it means do not extinguish, do not put the fire away. That's what it means. So you can actually extinguish the Holy Spirit inside you as a holy temple, brethren. And just, you know, I don't have time. Actually, I I might have one extra minute. But, you know, when you have altar, three elements that you need on the altar. You need an altar. You need the sacrifice. And you need the fire. And I want you to go to Leviticus chapter 6. One more scripture. Leviticus chapter 6. And in verse 12. The Lord commanded them. Back then. In the Old Testament sacrificial system. And the fire on the altar. Shall be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it. Every morning. And lay the burnt offering in order on it, and he shall burn on it the fat of the peace offering. And verse 13 a fire shall always be burning on the altar, it shall never go out. And I have these closing remarks for all of us as a warning. Through Israel history, this fire was put down. There happened in Israel history that the tabernacle disappeared. There was in Israel history the Tabernacle was captured by Philistines. When this fire was not burning continually, evil and horrible things happened to Israelites. And brethren, and this fire representing nothing else than God's Holy Spirit on our altar, in our heart, don't quench it. Because if you quench this fire in our hearts, and we'll just end up like all the Israelites. So take a warning. Love one another. be one another and learn from one another. May God be with you. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at CGIBurlington.org.